So there were these three dinosaurs. Tyrannosaurus rexes, I think, with their little hands. And they stumbled across a lamp, and one of them somehow managed to rub this lamp, and a genie popped out. Said, well, there's three of you, so I'm going to give each one of you a wish. And the first dinosaur, he thinks hard, and he says, all right, all right, he says, I'll have a big, juicy piece of steak. And bam, right there in front of him was the biggest, juiciest piece of steak he'd ever seen in his life. Not to be outdone, the second dinosaur thinks even harder. And he says, I know, I know, I'll have a shower of meat. And immediately, big chunks of meat start falling out of the sky. And and he is just amazed. And the third dinosaur, certainly not to be outdone, thinks harder than the, the previous two dinosaurs. And he says, I've got it, he cried. I want a meteor shower. Right? So I'm pretty sure that's not how it ended for the dinosaurs. Um, I'm pretty sure that it was the Great Flood that uh, ended it for the dinosaurs. Uh, And and that's not the end that we're going to be talking about today, but we are talking about the end. And uh, I've looked forward to today, and and I'm glad that you're here in in the building with us because... uh, God has prepared us to hear this message today. Uh, really, the word that he gave Jackie and, and to have Lois come up and share what God's done in her life. And, and just the reminder this morning that God is good. Don't let Satan convince you otherwise. Uh, and, and we're going to see that today. Now, last week, we saw that us as Christians often live or think or believe in the extremes. From, from, from one side or the other. In the either or a way of thinking instead of the both and. For instance, we, we either focus so much on personal purity that we forget to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those around us, or we become so focused on evangelism and, and talking to people about the name of Jesus that we don't take time ourselves to spend each day in God's word and in prayer. We gravitate to one extreme Over the other. Paul cautioned the Thessalonians and us likewise to live and journey in life in the both and. Today's passage continues in an area where people tend to think in extremes. There are Christians in history, uh, all of history, who hold on to the belief that all of the prophecies of the Bible were already fulfilled in the first and second century. There are no other prophecies to be fulfilled, even in our day today, and we're just simply waiting to die. Um, There are others who are or were, and this has been true through the centuries as well, so focused on on, on the end times that that's all they think about. That's all they talk about. They, they look for the next person to try and convince them that they know what they're talking about and that they know the right order and that they know sort of the when and the how and all of that. And, and they're just waiting for the rapture to occur. And we saw that this, this is possibly what was happening with the Thessalonians. They weren't, they had kind of, when they came to Christ uh, and, and Paul taught them some things, they're like, well, Okay, then this is going to be like next week, next month. They quit working their jobs, and they just simply waited. They were waiting for the rapture to occur. Uh, 
And, and when we talk about end, end times themselves, there are a couple of extremes that we can, can gravitate from one side or the other. End, end times obsession and end times ignorance. Those who think and read and listen and watch only end time stuff, self-proclaimed prophets and movies and talk shows, Many who proclaim to have some special understanding of the date and time. We've seen it time and time again, even in the, in the decades that we've all been alive. I almost said centuries that we've all been alive. Although all of us in this room, save a few, have been alive in two different centuries. Ever think about that? That make you feel old. Um, And, and then there are others who run to the other side of the listing ship to compensate for what they would call excesses. Uh, and in doing so, go to the other extreme and don't think about the parousia or the second coming at all. Maybe even to the point where they feel no urgency to bear witness to the good news to those around them because... because Similar to our death, we don't know when that's going to happen. The return of Christ could come today. And we need to be ready for that. Others live in fear, fear of future events and dread their own death because they have not anchored their hopes in the solid foundation or in the Bible's revelation of the future. One of the things that often drives us to these extremes, it's not, it's not good information, and it's not even necessarily the lack of information. I think the thing that drives us to the extremes is more often than not misinformation, a misunderstanding, or, or um, our priorities are out of whack. Mark Twain once said, the trouble with the world is not that people know too little, but that they know many, but that they know so many things that ain't so. Right? In today's part of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he covers what is so and what ain't so. So if you would please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to be uh, looking at. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 this morning. Now, Paul, for us today and for the Thessalonian, Thess Thessalonians, outlines our Christian hope and the basic of our end times expectations. He does this in three parts. First, he talks about our death and life afterwards. He then talks about Christ's coming and our joining him in the clouds, and then he talks about the comfort that this hope brings to our life in the present. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We need to remember as we read this letter to the Thessalonians that this is brand new stuff to them. I mean brand new. They, they've not heard, you know, whispers of this before. This is, this is brand new to them. This, this is in the first century after Jesus died. This is like 
50 AD, 50 years after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And to many of them in that culture, they thought when you died, well, that was just it. You just ceased to exist. Um, It was over. There was nothing to look forward to. Others treated the afterlife like some journey you had to somehow navigate on your own with a lot of unknowns. Many in our world today believe those same things. You know, we hope to think or wish we could think that we live in a Christian nation, but we don't. We are very much post-Christian nation. And we shouldn't expect it to be different, but we should fight for it to have a different future than what it seems where we're headed today. Many in our world today believe these same things, that you just cease cease to live anymore, and it's just over. But you see, they're not right. That's part of the misinformation. And if you don't know where you're going in life, there's a good chance you'll end up there. Okay. Wow, that just threw me way off. (laughs) Okay. Did everybody else hear that too? That wasn't just me, right? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So Paul says, Paul says this, fellow believers, brothers and sisters, I want to teach you something. We need to hear from him today. I want you to know, first of all, Paul says, that there is hope in death and eternal life. There is hope in death and eternal life. In regard to death, that's those who have taken their last breath. Those who sleep in death, Paul says. Now, fallen asleep in him. He's not talking about the kind of sleep where a loud noise can wake you up. That's not what Paul's talking about here. No, he is talking about death, but the reality of death is that one day we will rise. And we need to not forget that. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is hope. We will be resurrected. Why is there hope? There's hope not only because we have put our belief in something, but because of that something and that someone that we have put our belief in is the creator of the world. He is God. It's God himself. It's not just some beautiful, quaint, you know, uh, idea from a hymn or a song or some fluffy feeling that we try to use to comfort other people when they're suffering grief and the loss of a loved one. No, this is real, take it to the bank, hope. Because Jesus himself, the Son of God, the Messiah, was born. God with us. He walked this planet. People watched him die. People watched him be crucified and take his last breath. He was buried and he was cold in the ground. But he didn't stay dead. You see, he was resurrected. Jesus came back to life. He has power over death. I don't have that kind of power. Do you have that kind of power? 
I don't know anybody that has that kind of power. But Jesus, he rose, and because he lived a perfect life and was a perfect sacrifice for us when we put our faith and trust in him, that perfect blood sacrifice cleanses us from all our sin. God sees us through the blood of Christ, and we are given eternal life, eternal hope. The power that raised Jesus from the dead gives us both eternal life today and will one day raise us from the dead as well. Anyone who dies in Christ will be saved. So if you are in Christ, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have to fear death. You should have no anxiety about that moment when you will pass from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. You see, Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Isn't that great news? To die is gain, Paul says. There is sure hope in death for a Christian. My mom and my dad are experiencing eternal bliss with their Lord right now, today. I don't know what exactly that looks like, but as my brother said, (laughs) after my dad took his last breath was this, and now he knows. And now he really knows. We can speculate, we can think we know, But it's not until we take that last breath that we really know. Are you ready to take that last breath? It's been hard. It's been sad to live life in the absence of my mom and my dad. I mean, I miss them. I grieve uh, because of their absence. But here's the thing. As I go through the process of grief and continue to, It's not a hopeless and desperate grief like many in our world suffer. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, Paul says. No, there is great hope in my sadness. Chuck Swindoll shares this story. When I was a kid growing up in Houston, our family lived across the street from a man and a woman who had been married later in life beyond the childbearing years. The two of them enjoyed a honeymoon that lasted well into retirement. Mr. Roberts was a wonderful doting husband who loved his wife deeply and she found great joy in the man of her dreams. Then a sudden heart attack took him from her, plunging her into a seemingly bottomless grief. In the weeks that followed the funeral, my mom watched Mrs. Roberts leave the house every day to visit his graveside. She spent hours there, talking, crying, seeking solace, grasping for some kind of connection with her departed mate. Instead, her despair deepened. You see, our neighbor had no personal relationship with Christ and no firm basis for hope beyond the grave. As she looked back on her delightful years with her husband, years that ended so suddenly, so absurdly, she had no answers. And her futile graveside attempts to reconnect only further confused her 
and deepened her hopelessness. I'll never forget the day my mother said to me, Charles, I'm going across the street to talk to her. I want you to pray that Mrs. Roberts' heart will be open to what I have to say. And within minutes, she was across the street with a batch of warm cookies and a pitcher of lemonade. That very afternoon, Mrs. Roberts embraced the truth. Because Jesus rose from the dead, death doesn't have the final victory. The day, a mir- that day, a miracle happened. That day, my mother returned with an empty pitcher and a full heart. Mrs. Roberts embraced the good news that Jesus Christ conquered death, but she didn't stop her trips to the cemetery. She said, I'm going back. I'm going to talk to the people who are there. You see, in her many graveside visits, she noticed other people weeping over and talking to cold stones, trying in vain to contact the dead in hopes of recapturing the relationships that they once enjoyed. She understood their despair, but now she held a truth they desperately needed to hear and believe. And that's how Mrs. Roberts became a cemetery evangelist. She was the first and last I ever knew. With her little New Testament and a few well-chosen words, this transformed lady comforted mourners as they wept, then offered them the very hope that had given her a new perspective on life and death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the central truth of our hope and our salvation. Then Paul tackles questions revolving around the rest of us that are still alive when Jesus returns. The Thessalonians were curious. What about those who believed and went before us? But what about us? We believe now. What if Jesus returns while we're still walking the earth? What happens then? Now, there's been a huge amount of time and ink and print used throughout the centuries to try and figure out what the end is going to be like. What order do the events occur in? And and when? Like, when will the rapture occur in relation to the future tribulation? Is, does the, the rapture like happen first and then, and then the, the earth experiences three and a half years of good and three and a half years of bad? Or, or, or is there three and a half years of really good and then the rapture occurs and then there's the three and a half that are really bad? Or, or is there the, three, the, the whole seven years and then at the end of that the rapture occurs and we have to live through all of that? Well, I know which one I'm picking. I'm good with three and a half years of good, but man, the sooner I get out of here, the better. I mean, I like my life, but the hope that we have in eternity is so much better. Or will only New Testament saints be resurrected at the time of Jesus' second coming? Or will it also include Old Testament saints? Or... Or will there be any clear signs leading up to the events of the resurrection and the rapture? You know, we're, we're given in other places in Scripture that there are going to be signs. Are those signs happening now? And if so, well, then I better get ready. But if they're not, well, then what? Just kind of cruise along? No, I don't think so. Now, Paul doesn't address any of these directly in, in, his, in this passage today, but he does give a detailed description of what it will look like when the rapture and the resurrection of the church does occur. So look at verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, 
who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So there is great hope in death for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there is great hope when Jesus returns. First of all, Paul says, I'm not making this stuff up off the top of my head, okay? Just so you know. This is from the Lord. This is his word. And then, he, and, and then he confirms that it will be both those who died before Jesus' return and those who um, are still alive, living in Christ, who will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. I'm not sure how much time there's going to be in between those two actions. I mean, are, are we all going to be like all of a sudden standing around and, you know, if you happen to be driving by a cemetery and all of a sudden there's like this sight that you've never seen before in your life? And you have a moment in time to sort of recognize that, and then all of a sudden, you're gone too? I don't know the, the timing, what that even looks like, but it's going to happen. Those who have already died, their bodies will be raised and transformed first. So here's the order according to Paul when Jesus returns. It's going to go like this. First, Christ himself will descend from heaven. Then there will be a shout, the voice of the archangel and a huge trumpet blast. I mean, that ought to wake the dead, right? I guarantee you there's going to be no question in your mind or mine. Is the rapture happening? It will be a noise like none other. Have you ever been sitting in your house and you heard a really loud noise? I mean a really loud thing and you're like, it's just so far out of your, you're like, is this it? Nope. It was just the neighbor practicing his saxophone outside in front of his house. <clears throat> Then those who have died will be raised first. Now, this isn't going to be some real life playing out of the zombie apocalypse. Okay, those, those graves are going to burst open and amazing, glorious, and immortal bodies of believers will rise. Up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul describes this. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And finally, all the living believers will join the resurrected saints in the air. Paul doesn't explain here what happens to the bodies of the living when they're taken up, but he does in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, and 53. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We won't all die, but we will all be changed. The dead and the living when Jesus returns. 
in a flash, in the twinkling of an, of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. The bodies of the believers who are still living without experiencing physical death will be transformed into our glorious immortal bodies, just as the the souls and the transformation occurs in those who have gone before us. Both groups, the resurrected and the transformed, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, Paul says. The Greek word translated caught up right there is, is translated as rapio in the Latin translation of the Greek Bible, which is where we get the word rapture or snatching away. So for those who are in Christ, it doesn't matter if they're dead or alive. They will be resurrected and they will receive immortal and glorious bodies when Jesus returns. That is amazing to me. And then we will be with the Lord forever. Eternal, wonderful, glorious, perfect. No more pain, no more tears, no more heartache. Life, eternal life. And then what does Paul tell the Thessalonians to do? What what does he tell us to do? Look at verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. With what words? That Jesus came and died and that he's calling us to him and that if we believe in him, we will be resurrected in the end days. Hope, hope in our lives today. Paul says, encourage one another with this hope. Are you afraid of the future? Don't be. Are you feeling anxiety about someone who has gone before you? If they were in Christ Jesus, don't. If if they put their faith and trust in him, don't be anxious. They're, They're experiencing the presence of the Lord right now. Worried about your own end? Don't be. Why? If you are in Christ Jesus, don't Worry, don't be afraid. Um, worried about when Jesus may return? Don't. Why? Why worry? Here's the thing. Jesus is going to come when it's time. Not a minute before. Not a minute after. There is nothing we can do to make Jesus come before it's time. The events of the last days will occur just as they should. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready today? It could be your end, it could be the end. Are you ready? No matter what, Whether we die before Jesus returns or we're still here when he does, we need to be ready. So let's be ready. And and let's encourage others to be ready as well. Um, Three things that we can do to be ready. The first is this. Make sure you have taken what God has given, his salvation. Salvation is a gift. Uh, We can't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But out of the amazing grace and mercy of God, 
He paid the price for your sin and for mine. He chooses us and we have a decision to make. And my question for you today, if you're listening at home or you're watching or you're here in the room today, have you made that decision? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? It's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. You, it, the world may try and, and uh, get you to believe that there are bigger decisions. There is not, because none of the decisions that we make here today, other than that one, that will affect us for all of eternity. That one right there. Have you made that decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you made it? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works. You can't earn it so that, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But that's after salvation, those good works. You see, putting off that decision is a decision. Not choosing to surrender is choosing not to. So, so where are you? Where are you? I want to give you a moment right now to believe. Or, or, or to acknowledge a, a recent salvation. Bob, why don't you come on up here with the rest of the band? And I, I'm able to proclaim the good news of the gospel often. A couple of the best places that I get the opportunity to do that is at a wedding and at a funeral. And uh, there is amazing comfort in the hope when it's grounded and founded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I've heard you say that lots and lots and lots of times and I'm not sure really what to do with it. I'd... What should be my next step? And, and, I, and I hope to explain that often and that people kind of get that and, and they either in their hearts, in that moment, they, they surrender their life to Jesus Christ and it's not just saying the right words or anything like that for sure. It's sensing that, that God is drawing your heart to him and surrendering it and giving it up. Giving up control of your life to the Messiah the Savior of the world. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. This morning. If, if, you're, if you're at home and you're like, yeah, this, I need to do this today. Or, or, or if you're also like, you know, it's been, it's been you know, uh, weeks or months and, and I, just, I just want to take a stand. I want to take a stand for my faith that I've put in Jesus Christ. Um, if you're at home, just, you know, put the coffee down um, and stand up. 
And, and if you're here in this room today, and you're like, you know what, this is something I need to do. I need to do this today. Or this is something that I've recently done. And I want to acknowledge that. That I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to just stand right where you're sitting. Stand up as acknowledgement of your faith and profession. That you confessed with your mouth and you believed in your heart. As Paul says in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. At home or here. If this is new, if, 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 if you're like, I need to surrender right now. Don't give in to the pressure of just maybe you're the only one that stands. And then I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help all of us to recognize that Coming to church doesn't save us. Even, even acknowledging that, that there is a God and that Jesus exists. For, for your word says that even, even the demons believe that. Even Satan believes that you exist. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us here today to surrender our heart to you. To not just acknowledge that yes, I do believe that you are the Messiah. Jesus came, crucified, rose again, and is right now at the right hand of the Father. Today, I stand as an action of surrender, of control of my life. Jesus, save me. Save me. if you are here today or you're watching and you, you have more questions, you're like, eh, I just have a couple more T's that, I, that I'd really like crossed. I'd really, I just got some questions. Please write that on a connect card and put it in the offering plate as you exit today or, or send me a text message. Email me. Let's visit about that. It's the biggest decision that you'll ever make. To trust Jesus as your Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. There's one more thing. There's two more, actually. Real quick. Real quick. Um, continue to resist a corrupted lifestyle. Look, none of us likes to be caught red-handed with whatever uh, with our hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Let's not give up on resisting sin. Don't give up on repentance. Practice it every day. Let's keep the closet of hidden sin and disobedience empty. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, For we were all, as Christians, baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. It's that Holy Spirit living in us that gives us the ability to say no to the temptations of the world. Let's rely on him to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our life and to empower us to live to please God every day. And finally, to be ready, look up with hope in our great God and Savior. Look up with hope in our great God and Savior. Don't be downcast. 
Don't be anxious. Don't worry or be afraid of death or even the return of Jesus. Live every day with your feet fitted and firmly standing on the gospel. Those armored shoes give us peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. You look for the world to to give you stuff. It will always end in disaster. Let's look to Jesus and let's receive as he gives and not receive as the world gives. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and 57, write it down in your notes. Memorize it. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's a beautiful Savior. And, and we've been challenged in several different ways this morning, from words from up here and words from up here and words from a song. And let's all stand and let's close as we sing these last words with a beautiful Savior.